Welcome to the PG Daily. This season is dedicated to financially empowering the residents of Prince George's County. Join our host, Heath Carelock, as he sits down with several financial experts to discuss ways for you to find money, make money, and better understand money. Get ready to be empowered. Today's guest is Tremaine Davis. We're joined in the studio today by Tremaine Davis, who is the executive pastor for Judah Temple AME Zion Church in Bowie. And he's also the founder and owner of ATI Solutions and lead consultant. Um, Tremaine, welcome to the set. And Tremaine also has a distinction of being on the Financial Empowerment Center at Prince George's Community College's advisory board, where he's also done work as a coach for various students who are in the Coach My Pitch program, uh, which was part of the Capital One grant uh, to the college for a pitch competition called Pitch Gladiator last year. Tremaine, welcome to the set. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you, you have so any much. opening thoughts, words, actions? Excited to be here. Excited about the conversation. Now, one thing about Tremaine is that he played basketball. And as we learned earlier, before the show was shot, uh, he played soccer in high school. I forgive you. Fun fact. Fun fact. Um, what we're here to talk about is faith-based financial security. Um, what does faith-based financial security read to you? Uh, faith-based financial security. Um, I would say that that is, I don't know, that that, that term, is, is you got to unpack that. It sounds yeah. like a lot um, when you talk about faith-based financial security. I mean, financial security, I think, is something that whether you're faith-based, not faith-based, you know, that term is something that everybody needs to be pushing towards. I think there are certain dynamics, uh, you know, uh, in the faith-based community, uh, you know, that could, you know, layer on top of that, you know, initial fact, you know, of faith, I mean, of um, financial security, uh, you know, from a deployment standpoint, if you will. But I think the financial security piece is the, the crux of that statement. So what does it, wh- how does faith-basedness change the notion of financial security or adjust it or modify it? I don't think it does. Like I was saying, I think that it just gives you an outlet for uh, reaching a different demographic of people, if you will. Um, I think that the faith-based community is a good anchor uh, for different initiatives, whether it's financial security, whether it's food security, whether it's, you know, whatever the initiative is, um, I think the faith-based community is a great place to um, start from a deployment standpoint just because of the, you know, the aggregated resources, the people. Uh, but, yeah, financial security is something that we all need. What role does the church have in a financial wellness initiative to its parishioners? Absolutely. So um, the church itself, I think, has a massive role when it comes to the financial uh, security, not just of the uh, parishioners, but all of the stakeholders, you know, that are uh, connected or tied into any church or any faith-based or- organization. Uh, and that's just because the organization, from a faith-based standpoint, uh, just represents so much in a community that it, 
you know, is anchored in. Uh, I'll give you our church as an example. We've been there almost 25 years. Um, you know, so we're a big part of the community in which we are anchored. Uh, so, you know, uh, the people that go to the church, live in the community, work in the community, shop in the community. Uh, so, you know, to have initiatives and things that make them more financially successful uh, doesn't just build the church. It builds the community that we're anchored in. So I think that is the key takeaway from uh, how the, the, the faith-based organization fits into that schematic. What are some things in your mind about uh, what the Bible says about financial security, finances, being a responsible steward? Yeah, absolutely. So I think when it comes to church, uh, everybody thinks about the 10%, um, you know, the tithe. Uh, and that's what you think when you think finances and church, you know, kind of putting those two things together. Um, but I think it's so much more complex than that. Um, God is clear in the Bible about being, um, and you mentioned the word, good steward over all of your resources. Um, so it's not just about how you're spending, you know, your 20 bucks. You know, it's about everything. Are you are you preparing uh, a legacy, you know, for your kids, your grandkids? Are you doing something to impact your community? Are you, you know, just all of these different dynamics. I think if you look at it more holistically, you really find uh, an avenue to be more impactful. Um, you, ju- you, you just don't know how many funerals they do at the church where the family has to do a uh, GoFundMe page to pay for the, you know, the casket and the flowers and <clears throat> just the different things. And it's sad. I mean, we're a church, so we do, you know, 200 funerals a year, you know, 100 funerals a year. And, you know, you'd be just so surprised at how much each family is struggling. You know, I mean, some not all. Some are prepared, but how many are not prepared, uh, you know, for those final expenses? And that's just something that with a little preparation uh, could have been mitigated. Have you been to a funeral and just seen a family that has just totally not together? And Absolutely. Financially, they don't know how they're going to afford the 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 use of the church the the use the the food at the end the so what what goes on at a church in those instances I'll I'll, I'll give you an even better example I'll give you a personal example um, so my father he died uh, three years ago 2017 was not prepared at all for uh, his you know him passing away uh, he was you know great health. His whole life. I mean, he. I didn't know a guy who was healthier than him. He was 77 or something when he passed. But, uh, I mean, but he still would walk, walk, jog two miles a day, you know, healthy. He didn't really eat meat. He, you know, juiced. And, you know, he was that guy, you know. So really, 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 really healthy. Um, but he had stage four bladder cancer. Didn't know it. Uh, stage five. Well, he was late stage. I don't know the stages. But he was at the end of the road when they found it. And he literally had four months to live when they told him. He just went in, oh, because my stomach hurts, and they found the bladder cancer. And four months later, he wasn't here anymore. And he didn't have anything prepared. And it all fell back on me, and it fell back on my sister um, because, you know, we're his two kids. And, you know, everybody's like, well, who's paying for this? Who's paying for that? And at a time where you're supposed to be grieving, you know, it's difficult to now have to get all of these calls 
about who's paying for this, who's paying for that. I mean, you already have to deal with just the, the overall logistics. But then when the stress of not being able to pay for certain things that need to be paid for, I mean, that can really send people into, I can understand how it will be able to send people into a depression or into a tailspin that is difficult to get out of. And then fortunately, we were, you know, okay enough to be able to handle it. But I can just imagine how families could be in that situation. So personal finance is something you take personally. Um, <laughs> can you explain why uh, someone at a church would encounter personal finance in, in such a way as, as a pastor? So how a pastor would mm -hmm. encounter? So, you know, that's a great question. Um, and I don't think enough pastors probably even take this into consideration. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about leading, leading people, it starts at the top. Um, so when you're talking about a pastor and his personal finances, uh, potentially or should be the model for how the church does its finances, the people do their finances. It's difficult to teach stewardship if you are not a good steward. Um, and, you know, the, the thing about leadership not being good with you know, personal finances, different things like that. You'll see those, you know, the, the the evidence of that in the church. So the church not being able to balance their books effectively, you know, that type of thing. It all comes from the head. So um, when you think about a pastor and his personal finances, like, as you just asked, I think that's a number one, key number one. Um, and, you know, those are things that a pastor may not necessarily think about. If he can preach real good, he should be a pastor. But he should also take some personal development classes to understand financial literacy and things like that because, like I said, the pastor is the model for what happens at that church. So what are the best churches that you have know that you know of from conferences and uh, from different travel you've done? Uh, what are the best churches doing to help their congregants encounter personal financial well-being? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, if, you know, I watch the big boys a lot, you know, the Jakes of the world, the Osteens of the world, um, you know, just to get a framework for what it's like to operate at that level. Uh, these guys uh, are not successful by luck. You know, it's very calculated and very intentional. Uh, you know, for them being able to lead a congregation of 10, 15, 20,000 uh, people, even First Baptist of Glen Arden, that's the largest church in Maryland, and that's right down the street from us. And uh, the way they do what they do is uh, incredible, um, you know, but it's all about uh, empowering their people. Um, it is one thing that I'm implementing at our church, uh, which is really changing the mindset of uh, how we do things from a value standpoint. So how do we add value to our people and not just from a financial literacy standpoint, but, you know, holistically, how do we add value to people in multiple areas of of their lives? Uh, I think uh, we can't expect an, a return somewhere where we don't put an investment. So if you want people to give more, if you want people to, uh, you know, be more conscious about their money and their giving to the church and just what they do, you have to invest uh, the resources into building that part of your congregation up or that part of your people. So if you go to one of the successful churches and you see, uh, you know, what they're doing, you'll see multiple programs, uh, of financial literacy, wellness, uh, you know, just different programs that support the things that they want to build in their congregation and ultimately be able to see a return from. This is all in well. Um, 
where have you been personally where you've seen this done effectively? Whether it's like at a conference or whether it's uh, when you're traveling to meet other pastors regionally, mm-hmm. where have you seen and you know that this is being done? Yeah, uh, so I do a lot of traveling um, within the AME Zion, you know, congregation now, uh, a denomination of congregation uh, because that's where I am now. And um, we have a, a couple of churches um, that are doing really, really, really good work on a large scale. Um, we had a conference, uh, I want to say middle of last year, at one of our churches in North Carolina. And, I mean, this church is massive, and the pastor is doing exactly what we're talking about right now. I mean, just multiple programs, not just, and here's where it gets very interesting, not just for the uh, the church members, but he takes a stakeholder approach, which is something that I talk about all the time. So it's providing those same resources that you will provide to your community members, but to the members of the community as well. You know, the uh, the ability to invite the community into the church to get value, um, you know, from a programmatic standpoint or just, you know, however you want to, to deploy that value is something that is really groundbreaking, especially for the church today, because we look so much inwardly. How do we impact our members and our congregation? But um, I think the key to really being successful is how do you engage uh, not just inwardly, but outwardly as well and drawing that line of sight. Why should faith-based financial curriculum be considered or implement it in financial behavior change within a church setting? So, again, I don't think that it's faith-based. I think it's just financial curriculum. Um, I think that that's just a blanket thing that all people know. Um, Like I said, I think faith-based is more of just the deployment mechanism. But I think the curriculum that somebody, uh, you know, anywhere outside of the church will read should be the same information uh, or programs that you have inside of the church as well. Well, we see curriculum like D free living um, out of New Jersey, and there's a pastor who does that. We've obviously seen David Ramsey's Financial Peace University. Um, so these are faith based curriculum that are easily implemented. And I'm wondering how how do we incorporate these um, even you know with more reach into local churches around us. Yeah. Uh, so I think the way we do it, first and foremost, I think there needs to be more uh, democratization of the information. Um, there has to be more sharing. Um, you know, it's it's crazy that churches have the network that we have and we don't share information. Um, you know, we the church was the original Facebook, <laughs> the original social media outlet was the church. Um, you know, you think about back in uh, you know, Martin Luther King days and things like that. If you want to find out where the next march was or where the next, uh, you know, thing, you know, that King was having or one of the other um, greats back in that time were having, you found out at the local church. Um, I mean, it was a network unlike no other. Um, but now today um, we cease to do that. And I think that's one way that we could, you know, quote unquote, spread the word, as you said it, um, is to just share more. You know, there's one church that's successful here. How does that church now take all of the information from a success standpoint and share it with everybody in their network? I mean, that is how you put a multiplier effect on uh, on everything that, that, that you do inside of a church. What are some stories from parishioners at your church um, who've gone through faith-based exercises uh, that you have been responsible for 
uh, introducing to the congregation? Uh, you you say what is the feedback? Yeah, what are some stories from from their engagement? Yeah, so so we've done a um, quite a few um, programs. I would say at the church, um, the financial literacy piece of it, we're still building. Um, you know, our impact in that area. Um, but I think just overall the feedback from taking a program, bringing it into the church so that you can add value to people um, without, you know, necessarily asking them for money back or some kind of donation or some kind of, uh, you know, just to add value to the people is something that, like I said, is a relatively new paradigm. And the people have been very responsive. Uh, so just having that as a data set, um, you know, is really encouraging that no matter what program we put into the church from a value add standpoint, the people will be able to to um, be impacted by it. So um, as we're now moving into things like financial literacy and we're moving into uh, more robust uh, uh, couples uh, counseling, we did the uh, the. Um, the program with the Together program. We've run that uh, almost four times now. I mean, just been very impactful. Um, so these are the things that we're really looking at. And like I said, a strategic focus for me is not just uh, how do we, you know, get more tithes and more offerings from the people, um, which is a lot of times what pastors are looking to do. How do you increase the budget? You know, those type of things. You know, the way I'm looking at it is how do we add more value? And I think that just that shift in thinking has really uh, caused a good response from the uh, members. So when we look at how it affects one's faith and financial outcomes, what have you seen as some of the results from that? Absolutely. Oh, man, I think it's it's it. So you mentioned something earlier about um, how do we get the word out? Um, and I was talking about sharing the information. Um, one thing that I have noticed, which is a great thing, is that once you add value to people, they tell other people. Um, so now they're telling their friends like, hey, um, come visit our church because, you know, they have this program that does X, Y and Z. You know, you could probably use it. Come visit the church, you know, that type of thing. So we're getting a good response even from people that aren't necessarily connected directly to the church. Just visitors that have come in. Oh, I heard about the church. Oh, my friend told me about the church. Now I'm coming to visit. So we have a lot more visitors coming to the church. We've seen an increase in these these uh, these numbers. Um, and it's literally because, you know, people are starting to see and understand the uh, impact of just adding value. So you've been one to have a little traveling sermon uh, about the <laughs> difference between the 10%, which we know, and the 90%, which churches oftentimes don't engage um, on educating folks about. So can you give us a little snippet of what that sermon is? I wouldn't say a sermon so much, <laughs> but it is something that I'm passionate about. You gave me an MP3 <laughs> of a sermon. Now, we can make that public for public consumption. For public consumption. <laughs> but, uh, no, I, I really want to hear, like, what what about the 90%? So, basically, folks, uh, you know, biblically, 10% goes to uh, a tithe, and then you have 90%, which uh, goes to just about everywhere else. And uh, we wanted Tremaine to talk about how churches can profile and educate the the congregants on the 90%. Yeah, so, um, you know, 
to me, and this goes back to what I mentioned earlier about uh, looking for a return somewhere where you have not put an investment. And I think churches in this particular area are notori- notorious for this because uh, you don't know how many pastors I've engaged with or coached um, that want to know how do we get more from our members? How do we get more tithes? How do we get, get, get? Um, you know, and the first thing I ask them is, you know, what value in this particular area are you providing towards your people? So what programs do you have in place to support financial literacy? What programs do you have in place to support, um, you know, financial wellness or just something in that space? Uh, because I just think that and here's the tagline, as you were saying, you know, as churches, I think we do a lot to, you know, demand and they don't want to say demand, but, you know, request uh, the 10 percent from people. And it's understandable. I mean, that's how you pay the light bill, the water bill. You know, I understand that. But, you know, requesting that 10 percent without giving people the resources for how to manage the other 90, I think is something that, um, you know, is a little bit of an oxymoron. Um, And again, once you get to the place where you're requesting that 10 percent and then you want more people to give that 10 percent. You know, again, like I said, you know, one of the first things that uh, I talk about when I'm engaging with pastors and leaders before we even get into any of the strategy stuff, uh, you know, which is what I do, um, any of that stuff, you know, increasing stakeholder value doesn't matter about that stuff. We have to start at ground zero. You know, how are you adding value to your people? What investment have you put into the people? You got to plant a seed in order to be able to get a return from that uh, from that seed. Uh, You can't expect an apple tree if you haven't put a apple seed into the ground. Um, So what programs do you have in place? You know, uh, mama need a new pair of shoes. You know, daddy need a, you know, a new, new this, you know, mama need a new bag. You know, it gets difficult for the average person to put that 10% in a plate when they have so many other things that they're looking to do. Um, You know, so that's where the literacy comes in. And and culturally, especially in the African-American community, that's not part of our, you know, our pedigree. It's not part of our, our, you know, endowed, you know, sort of uh, information that's been passed down through the generations, which is how to manage uh, these resources. So now we're making money, you know, more money than we ever have. But we don't have innate in our culture uh, just uh, an understanding of how to manage all of those finances. And then we go to a church and they say, well, you know, you got to put 10 percent in the plate and there's no context for what that looks like on, you know, a, a holistic basis. We get a check every two weeks. But what does that really look like? And so that's where um, I guess my sermon, <laughs> as you mentioned it, uh, comes in. But it's really more of a talk. It's more of a, a talk that I want to a conversation that I want to have started, a discussion that I want you know, all to be a part of. Again, it's a, for me, it's about democratizing this information. So everybody has it. You know, you can't get a return when you don't put an investment. This podcast was recorded at Prince George's Community Radio, located on the campus of Prince George's Community College. The music for the podcast has been provided by David Smalls, and the PG Daily is executively produced by David Smalls. Join us next time for more financial empowerment.